Section one of Under the Shadow of Etna Sicilian Stories by Giovanni Verga Translated by Nathan Haskell Dole. This Librivox recording is in the public domain. How Peppa Loved Gramigna Dear Farina, this is not a story, but the outline of a story. It will at least have the merit of being short, and of having fact for its foundation. It is a human document, as the phrase goes nowadays, interesting perhaps for you and for all those who study the mighty book of the heart. I will tell it just as I found it among the country paths, and in almost the same simple and picturesque words that characterize the tales of the people. And really you will prefer to find yourself facing the bare and unadulterated fact, rather than being obliged to read between the lines of the book through the author's spectacles. The simple truth of human life will always make us thoughtful, will always have the effectiveness of reality, of genuine tears, of the fevers and sensations that have inflicted the flesh. The mysterious processes whereby conflicting passions mingle, develop, and mature will long constitute the chief fascination in the study of that psychological phenomenon called the plot of a story, and which modern analysis tries to follow with scientific care through the hidden paths of oftentimes apparently contradictory complications. Of the one that I am going to tell you today, I shall only narrate the starting point and the ending, and that will suffice for you, as perchance some day it will suffice for all. We replace the artistic method to which we owe so many glorious masterpieces by a different method, more painstaking and more recondite. We willingly sacrifice the effect of the catastrophe, of the psychological result, as it was seen through an almost divine intuition, by the great artists of the past, and employ instead a logical development, inexorably necessary, less unexpected, less dramatic, but not less fatalistic. We are more modest, if not more humble but the conquests that we make with our psychological verities will not be any less useful to the art of the future. Supposing such perfection in the study of the passions should ever be attained, that it would be useless to go further in the study of the interior man, will the science of the human heart, the fruit of the new art, so far and so universally develop all the resources of the imagination, that in the future the only romances written will be various facts? I have a firm belief that the triumph of the novel, the completest and most human of all the works of art, will increase until the affinity and cohesion of all its parts will be so perfect that the process of its creation will remain a mystery like the development of human passions i have a firm belief that the harmony of its forms will be so absolute the sincerity of its reality so evident its method and justification so deeply rooted that the artist's hand will remain absolutely invisible then the romance will seem to portray a real event and the work of art will apparently have come about by itself spontaneously springing into being and maturing like a natural fact without any point of contact with its author. It will not have preserved in its living form any stamp of the mind in which it originated, any shade of the eye that beheld it, any trace of the lips that murmured the first words thereof as the creative fiat. It will exist by its own reason, by the mere fact that it is as it should be and must be, palpitating with life, and as immutable as a statue of bronze, the author of which has had the divine courage of eclipsing himself and disappearing in his immortal work. A few years ago, down by the Simetto, they were giving chase to a brigand, a certain Gramigna, if I am not mistaken, a name as cursed as the weed that bears it. The man had left behind him, from one end of the province to the other, the terror of his evil reputation. Carabineers, compagni d'armi, and cavalrymen had been on his track for two months, without ever succeeding in putting their claws on him. He was alone, but was equal to ten, and the evil plant threatened to take firm root. Moreover, the harvest time was approaching. The crops already covered the fields, the ears bent over, and were calling to the reapers, who indeed had their reaping-hooks in their hands. And yet not a single proprietor dared show his nose over the hedge of his estate, for fear of meeting Gramigna, 
who might be stretched out among the furrows with his carbine between his legs, ready to blow off the head of the first person who should venture to meddle with his affairs. Thus the complaints were general. Then the prefect summoned all those gentlemen of the district, carabineers, and companies of armed men, and told them two words of the kind that makes men prick up their ears. The next day an earthquake in every nook and corner, patrols, squadrons, scouts for every ditch and behind every wall. They hunted him by day, by night, on foot, on horseback, by telegraph, as if he had been a wild beast. Graminia eluded them every time, and replied with shots if they came too close on his track. In the fields, in the villages, among the factories, under the signs of country taverns, wherever people met, Graminia was the only topic of conversation. That wild chase, that desperate flight, the carabineers' horses returned dead tired. The soldiers threw themselves down in utter weariness on the ground when they got back to the stables. The patrols slept wherever chance offered. Graminia alone was never tired, never slept, kept always on the wing, climbed down precipices, slipped through the harvest fields, crept on all fours among the prickly pear trees, made his way out of danger like a wolf by means of the hidden channels of the torrents. The chief argument of every discourse at the crossroads, before the village entrances, was the devouring thirst from which the fugitive must suffer in the immense barren plain under the June sun. The lazy loungers opened wide their eyes. Peppa, one of the prettiest girls of Licoria, was expecting at that time soon to marry Compare Finu, called Candela di Sego, the tallow candle, who had landed property in a bay mule, and was a tall young man, handsome as the sun, who carried the standard of Santa Margarita without bending his back, as though he were a pillar. Peppa's mother shed tears of delight over the good fortune that had befallen her daughter, and spent her time in looking over and over the bride's effects in the trunk, all white linen, and of the nicest quality, like a queen's, and earrings that would hang down to the shoulders, and gold rings for all the ten fingers of both hands, more money than Santa Margarita could have ever had. And so they were to have been married on Santa Margarita's day, which would fall in June, after the hay had been harvested. Candela di Sego, on his way back from the field, used every evening to leave his mule at Peppa's front door, and go in to tell how the crops promised to be a veritable enchantment, unless Gramigna set them on fire, and the lattice over against the bed would not be large enough to hold all the grain, and that it seemed to him a thousand years off before he should carry home his bride on the crupper of his bay mule. But Peppa, one fine day, said to him, "'Let your mule have a rest, for I do not wish to get married.' The poor Candela di Sego was dumbfounded and the old mother began to tear her hair when she heard that her daughter had refused the best match in the village. "'I am in love with Gramigna,' said the girl, "'and he is the only one whom I will marry.' "'Ah!' screamed the mamma, and she stormed through the house, with her gray hair streaming so that she looked like a witch. "'Ah! that demon has been here to bewitch my daughter!' "'No,' replied Peppa, with her eyes flashing like a sword. "'No, he has not been here. "'Where did you ever see him?' "'I never saw him. I have only heard him spoken of. "'But I feel something here that burns me.' The report spread through the region, though they tried to keep it a secret. The women and girls who had envied Peppa the prosperous farming, the bay mule, and the handsome youth who could bear the standard of Santa Margarita without bending his back, went around telling all sorts of unkind stories, how Graminia had been to visit her one night in the kitchen, and how he had been seen hiding under the bed. The poor mother burnt a lamp for the souls in purgatory, and even the curato went to Peppa's house to touch her heart with his stole, so as to drive out that devil of a Graminia, who had got possession of it but she persisted in her statement that she did not know the fellow by sight, but that she had seen him one night in a dream, and the following morning she had got up with her lips dry as if she had herself suffered all the thirst which they reported him to be enduring. Then the old woman shut her up in the house, so that she might not hear another word about Graminia, and she stopped up all the cracks of the door with images of the saints. 
Peppa heard all that was said in the street behind the sacred images, and she turned red and white, as if the devil had kindled all his fires in her face. Finally, she heard it said that Gramigna had been located among the prickly pear trees of Palagonia. They have been firing for two hours, they said. He has killed one carabinier and wounded more than three compagni d'armi. But they sent back such a hailstorm of shots that he must have been hit. There was a pool of blood where he had been. Then Peppa made the sign of the cross before the old mother's pillow, and made her escape out of the window. Gramigna was in the prickly pear trees of Palagonia, and they were not able to find him in that stronghold of rabbits. He was ragged and covered with blood, pale after two days of fasting, burning with fever, and he had his carbine leveled. When he saw her coming, resolute, among the prickly pear bushes, in the dim light of the gloaming, he hesitated a moment whether to shoot or not. "'What do you want?' he demanded. "'What are you coming here for?' "'I am coming to stay with you,' said she, looking straight at him. "'Are you Gramigna?' "'Yes, I am Gramigna. "'If you expect to get those twenty anchies of reward, you are mightily mistaken.' "'No, I have come to stay with you,' she replied. "'Go away,' said he. "'You can't stay with me, and I don't want anyone with me. "'If you are after money, I tell you you have made a mistake. "'I haven't any, mind you. "'For two days I haven't had even a morsel of bread.' "'I can't go back home now,' said she. "'The place is all full of soldiers.' "'Go away! What is that to me? Each for himself!' As she was turning away like a kicked dog, Gramigna called to her. "'Say, go and get me a jug of water down yonder in the brook. "'If you want to stay with me, you must risk your skin.' Peppa went without saying a word, and when Gramigna heard gunshots, he began to laugh immoderately, and said to himself, "'That was meant for me.' But when he saw her coming back a few minutes later with the jug in her hand, pale and bleeding, he said, before he sprang forward to snatch the jug from her, and then, when he had drunk till it seemed as if he had no more breath, you escaped, did you? How did you do it? The soldiers were on the other side, and there was a thick bush on this. But they put a bullet through your skin. There's blood on your dress. Yes. Where were you hit? In the shoulder. That's nothing. You can walk. So he allowed her to stay with him. She followed him, all in rags, shoeless, suffering from the fever caused by the wound, and yet she went foraging to procure for him a jug of water or a piece of bread, and if she came back with empty hands, escaping through the gunshots, her lover, devoured by hunger and thirst, would beat her. At last, one night, when the moon was shining in the prickly pears, Gramigna said to her, "'They are on us.' And he obliged her to stand with her back to the rock far in the crevice. Then he fled in another direction. Among the bushes were heard the frequent reports of the musketry, and the shadows were cut here and there by quick, bright flashes. Suddenly Peppa heard the sound of steps near her, and saw Gramigna coming back, dragging along a broken leg. He leaned against the prickly pear bushes to reload his carbine. "'It's all over,' he said to her. "'Now they'll take me.' And what froze the blood in her veins more than anything else was the light that shone in his eyes, as if he were a madman. Then, when he fell on the dry branches like a log of wood, the soldiers were on him in an instant. The following day they dragged him through the village street on a cart, all in rags and covered with blood. The people who had crowded in to look at him began to laugh when they saw how small he was, how pale and ugly— like a puncinello. And it was for him that Peppa had deserted Compare Finu, the Candela di Sego. The poor Candela di Sego went and hid from sight, as if it behoved him to be ashamed, and Peppa was led off, handcuffed by soldiers, as if she also were a thief. She who had as much gold as Santa Margarita. Her poor mother was obliged to sell all the white linen stored in her trunk, in the gold earrings and the rings for the ten fingers, so as to pay the lawyers who defended her daughter, and bring the girl home again. Poor, ill, and shame, ugly as Gramigna, and with Gramigna's child in her arms. But when at the end of the trial her daughter was restored to her, 
The poor old soul recited an Ave Maria in the bare and already dark jail among the soldiers of the guard. It seemed to her that they had given her back a treasure when she had nothing else in the world, and she wept like a fountain at this consolation. Peppa, on the other hand, seemed to have no tears to shed any more, and said nothing, and disappeared from sight. Yet the two women went out every day to get their living by their own hands. People declared that Peppa had taken up the trade in the woods, and went on robbing expeditions at night. The truth of the matter was that she hid herself in the kitchen like a wild beast in its lair, and it was only when her old mother was dead of her privations, and the house had to be sold, that she left it. "'See there,' said Candela di Sego, who was as much in love with her as ever, "'I could smash your head with two stones for the evil you have brought on yourself and others.' "'It's true,' replied Peppa. "'I know it. It was God's will.' After her house, and those few wretched pieces of furniture that were left to her, were sold, she went away from the town by night, just as she had done before, without turning round to look at the roof under which she had slept so long and she went to do God's will in the city, with her baby boy, near the prison in which Gramigno was incarcerated. She could see nothing else besides the black-grated windows along the mighty silent façade, and the sentinels drove her away if she stopped to look where he might be. At last she was told that he had not been there for some time, that he had been taken away to the other side of the sea, manacled, and with a basket fastened over his shoulder. She said nothing. She did not go away, for she knew not where to go, and she had nothing more to expect. She made a shift to live, doing chores for the soldiers, for the prisoners, as if she herself made a part of that black and silent building. And she felt for the carabiniers, who had taken Gramigna in the thicket of the prickly pears, and who had broken his leg with their shots, a sort of respectful tenderness, as if it were a brute admiration of force. On holidays, when she saw them with their plumes and their glittering epaulettes, stiff and erect in their gala uniforms, she devoured them with her eyes and she was always at the barracks cleaning the big rooms and polishing the boots, so that they called her the carbineer's dishcloth. Only when she saw them load their guns at nightfall and march out, two and two, with their trousers turned up, revolver and belt, and when they mounted horse under the light that made the muskets flash, and heard the clattering of the horse's feet dying away in the darkness and the jingling of sabres, she always grew pale, and while she was closing the door of the stable she shivered and when her youngster played with the other urchins on the glacis before the prison, running among the legs of the soldiers, and the urchins called him Gramigna's son, Gramigna's son, she flew into a rage and chased them away with stones. End of section 1